Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Well, Happy New Year, friends. Welcome to church. How are we doing this morning? So good to see you guys. We got the 1045 in the house. The 9 a.m. was hopping this morning. It's been a great day at church today. And today we are launching into a new series called Reset. And we're gonna be looking at six practices we believe will transform your life forever. And I deeply believe that. And something that we're also launching tomorrow, so good thing you're here today, you can hear about it, um, is 21 days of fasting and prayer. Let's go. We got one person excited about fasting and prayer. Um, but it's, it really is something that we've done the last few years. It's been an amazing experience for our church. And I would, we're going to talk about that more today, but would love to invite you to join us. And hopefully you got one of these on the way in. Gives a little outline of some different ways you can fast, um, different prayer models, just a, just a little tool. And it's on our website as well for anybody watching online, but just a tool to help you think about and navigate these next 21 days. And um, at the end of the service, we're, we're going to do a few things a little bit different. I'll just give you a heads up for that. We're actually going to have some prayer teams down front. If there's anything in your life, your family that you want prayer for, we'd love to pray with you. We also have a prayer wall over there where you can fill out a prayer request and put that on the prayer wall. Our staff is going to be in here Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. for the next 21 days uh, praying over those prayer requests for you, for our church, for our community. And it's open to anyone. I know 9 a.m. for many of you is when you start work, but if you want to join us, if you're available, please come and join us, 9 a.m. It's going to be an awesome, awesome 21 days. And so uh, I, do, I do actually believe that the Lord ordained and just planned this out perfectly, a season of fasting and prayer, because tomorrow night the Georgia Bulldogs are playing Alabama, and it's just so convenient to me that, you know, God would call you guys to fast and pray for the Georgia Bulldogs to win tomorrow night, and especially pray for your pastor because he's going to be a basket case tomorrow. Um, but I, uh, that was just funny for me, nobody else in the room, obviously, but I, uh, I'm excited, nervous, and um, yeah, moving on. Um, okay. I want to start here. I, I think the first thing that I want to realize about this whole idea of reset and change and just acknowledging the fact that at the beginning of the year, you know, many people set resolutions and they, they realize, we realize, we all realize that there is a gap, right, between who we are and who we're meant to be who we're called to be, who we should be in our marriages and our lives and all these things. And, and everybody's aware that, man, there's some areas in my life that I need to work on. That's why people set New Year's resolutions. They're like, hey, I, there's some things that I need to improve. There's some practices and habits and self-destructive behaviors that I need to get rid of. And, and we're all just in tune with that. And as a perfect example, I thought I would share with you some of the, the best uh, quotes on Twitter and Instagram that I've seen over the past week. And some of these have been around for a minute, but these are just awesome. So I'm going to share this with you. The first one that I, I saw regarding New Year's resolutions was this and really touches on the need to change. But since I was going to quit all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remembered that nobody likes a quitter. 
That's right. Nobody likes a quitter. Another one I saw, I thought this was great. It says, I will come up with new excuses for not doing work rather than boring my boss with the same old ones that I've been using for years. That's an ambitious New Year's resolution. Not many laughs. Some of y'all are obviously doing that. Um, I thought this was great. I will buy new clothes big enough to account for next year's holidays. Amen, somebody. I need that one. We all do. And, and this one is for all my introverts in the room, but I loved it because it just touches on the fact that some of our New Year's resolutions are just a bit too ambitious and we need to edit them, right? So you get like a weekend, you're like, there's no way I'm doing this for a whole year. I'm just going to like take it down a notch. And then you end up either bringing it down to like a real life level or just abandoning it, abandoning it altogether. And so here's one I loved. It said, okay, this year I'm going to avoid negative people. Then two weeks in, it's like, I'm going to avoid positive people. <laughs> and then three weeks in, I'm just going to avoid people because I'm introverted and I don't want to deal with it. One comedian said it like this, the adult life is defined by gaining and losing the same 10 pounds for the rest of our lives. <laughs> so true. Um, you know, these are ridiculous, but they're touching on something that we all want, the path to personal transformation. What does it look like for us to close the gap deep down in our souls between who we are and who we're called to be? And a question that I've been asking myself, a question that I want to challenge you with today is simply this, what would it take to fundamentally change who I am? Not, not the best parts of you, not, not your personality or the things that God has put in you that make you uniquely you, but what would it take to change the self-destructive habits and patterns in our lives that we know need to be changed? Because if you're like me, you've tried before. And your willpower got you maybe to like February 14th, and then you quit. We've tried on our own strength before. So what does it take to actually change, to experience growth and transformation? And today, I want to look at this idea, and I specifically want to look at what the Bible calls us to, how the Bible gives us a roadmap for this in our own lives, and the reason that we need this roadmap. The, the reason that this is just so important for all of us is simply because, and I'm just going to be real, I'm going to name it because I, I'm there with you. I am in this with you. We all have bad habits. We, some of us deal with addictions that rob us of who we're called to be. Some of us have bad spending habits, bad eating habits, bad drinking habits, bad health habits. Most of us are addicted to our phones or some form of social media or devices. We have bad relational habits in our marriages, our dating lives, in our families. We have bad habits in time management, self-destructive patterns, thought patterns in our mind. Some of us are just plain selfish. Happy New Year, everybody. Aren't y'all glad you came to church today? <laughs> Some of us are just unloving, we're uncaring, we're selfish, we are proud, we have all these sort of things, and our willpower doesn't seem to do much when we realize something's wrong and we can't change it. It just doesn't get us through. We've set goals, we've set personal goals, financial goals, spiritual goals, fitness goals, and we started the race strong, but then we didn't finish. We've all been there. We've, we've all experienced this reality of things inside of us that need to change. And the beauty of the gospel is this. In the New Testament, the Bible 
uses this word disciple or discipleship 246 times. It doesn't just say, hey, go out and win converts for Jesus, get people to say yes to Jesus. What it's really calling us to do is walk in the path of Jesus, to live like Jesus lived, to become more and more like Jesus. And friends, that requires transformation. Because if you're anything like me, you're not exactly like Jesus. Amen, anybody. Okay, y'all with me this morning. We're on the same playing field here, okay? I need some things in my life to change if I want to show the world what Jesus is like, if I want to be a witness to Christ. There's some things in my life that need to be transformed. Paul talks about it like this in Romans 12. He says this, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you. He's pleading with us, right? Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We'll talk more about that later. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world or this present age. Don't be conformed to this world. This, this world is shaping you. Every day you get up and you walk outside, you are bombarded with messaging and messages and marketing and, and just the culture we live in that is shaping you into a certain type of person. And friends, the way that the world and our culture shapes us is not the way of Jesus. It's just not. There are things that we have to fight against and press against and say, Lord, help us in these areas. Paul goes on, he goes, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. That's the calling of the Christian life. And so many of us, we come to this reality in our life and we come even in desperate moments where we know we're in slavery, we're in bondage, we're controlled by something that we don't wanna be controlled by. And we come to the Lord in desperate moments and say, is this going to work? Is this going to change me? Is this going to break the change? Am I going to find transformation here? And Paul says, the transformation begins. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, what the enemy loves to do is this. Satan loves to convince you of lies. And what happens is when your mind believes a lie over the truth, when your mind is not renewed by the Spirit of God, your heart goes after disordered desires, right? So, so the lies convince you to love something else more than God. The lies convince you, you know, the devil is not trying to deceive you with lies that Tupac is still alive or Elvis lives in Memphis, he doesn't, those are not the lies, not conspiracy theories that he's trying to convince you of. What he's trying to do is get you to buy into the lie that the way of Jesus and God's will for your life is not going to bring you joy. It's not going to bring you peace. It's not going to bring you contentment. God doesn't have the best in mind for you. And if you believe that, then it's going to affect everything about your life. It's going to affect everything. So the enemy is, is working overtime against the renewal of our mind. But Paul is calling us to this, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is what God is calling us to. Friends, the goal of the gospel is, is not just to create right thinking, but to completely transform how you think and how you live. That's what Paul's talking about. Discipleship following Jesus is actually transforming and changing the way you think about the world and the way you live. 
It changes the way that we love. It changes what we love. We love God first and everything else second. Changes what we value, what we prioritize, how we live, how we spend our time and our money, how we decide what's right and wrong. Friends, the gospel changes everything. Jesus changes everything. There's two words that Paul uses as he talks about this idea, this reality of transformation and the gospel. He says this, two words, justification and sanctification. And as we talk about this today, I want you to realize that if you have put your faith in Christ, if you've taken that step and you've put your faith in Christ, then you've received justification as a free gift. That means you are justified. You have right standing before God. That means when God looks at you, he doesn't just see the broken parts of your life. He sees his son, Jesus, who died for you, whose perfect life replaced your disobedience with his perfection. That's what he sees. So it means you're perfect and complete in Christ. Sanctification, though, on the other side, is the process of becoming more like Christ. So the way this works is God says, I love you. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. You're perfect and complete in Christ. Now the journey begins. Now this Christian life begins. Now there's this journey of saying, okay, I've been saved to become a witness to the world of who Jesus is and what he's like. Now I've got to learn to walk this thing out. And friends, that takes a lifetime and it's never too late. Praise God. It's never too late to start. So there's, there's justification, and then there's sanctification. First Thessalonians, and we're going to be hitting a lot of verses today, but First Thessalonians 4 says it like this, and it'll be up on the side screens. It says, finally then, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, you ought to walk and to please God. That word walk just means live. It's your life. It's how you act in life that you ought to walk and please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you would become more and more like Christ, that you would actually become more and more like him. And friends, honestly, that starts with reading about Jesus with reading the gospels and looking at how he lived. And so many of us would call ourselves Christian, but we haven't even taken the first step in discipleship of getting to know him, of of looking at how he would respond or what he would do in different scenarios or the way that he was humble, the way that he called us to love and to purity and to generosity and all these sort of things. And so Paul is like, look, you may be justified by grace, but your sanctification is is a process that you have to participate in. It's not a sit in the stands and just watch it happen. It's a get on the field reality for all of us. The Christian life, it is a, it's a beautiful mixture of perfection and progress. You're perfect already in Jesus, but you're in progress. And there's a process to our lives. Um, I thought of it like this, and this, this is a way that you could kind of sum up the biblical worldview and uh, I think you guys on the front row are going to be okay here. But, uh, and I did get permission from my wife for this. These were some plates that I, I found this week when I was putting Christmas decorations back. And um, so 
We haven't used them since we moved to California. They've got chips and all sorts of fun stuff, so I do have her permission to break these up here. Uh, Here's the reality. Here's, here's the summary of the Bible given to you by, by two plates and a hammer, okay? And some goggles. In the beginning, we were whole. Everything was right. We were good with God. We were in perfect communion with him. We were living the way that God intended us to live as image bearers. And then we believed the lie. We believed the lie that Satan fed to Adam and Eve in the garden that God doesn't have your best interest in mind. And when we turn from God, that means we turn from life and everything in the world, that had some, uh, that had some send on it. Everything in the world broke and, and we broke, right? There were, there, there were broken pieces of all of our lives. And this is not, this is not a, anything in any way. I should just preach the rest of the time with these on, but this is not to shame us in any way. This is just to say, hey, we all recognize this. Every person that made a funny tweet on Instagram about the New Year's and resolutions knows that, man, I've got fragmented pieces of my life all over the place. I've got things and and broken parts that I I wish I could fix or I wish I could change about myself and I just can't, I can't seem to get it together and I I wish I knew how to, how to, how to change these parts of myself. And, and, And what happens is this. When you put your faith in Jesus, When you say, Lord, I'm deciding to follow you, God goes, you're perfect, complete, and whole. Right now, the way I see you is like this. But we're gonna start this process of sanctification through the power of the Spirit, not through your willpower, where I take the broken pieces of your life and I begin to mend them. I, I begin to take these things and put them back together into who you were meant to be. And yes, it'll take a lifetime. Yes, we all have many broken pieces, but what I want to say is this. Some of you today just feel defeated. You feel like, man, I've tried. I've tried. I'm tired. I've tried to change. I'm just not going to change. There are things that are just not, it's just going to be this way for the rest of my life. And I think what the Lord wants to say to you today is, here's the deal. What happens, what happened in the fall is there's this reality of trauma that got unleashed in the world. This, this reality of trauma, and, and a lot of our bad habits, a lot of your bad habits, are, are anchored and rooted in trauma. And if, if your self-destructive behaviors are rooted in trauma, no amount of willpower is gonna put that plate back together. You need the supernatural power of God to heal you. And friends, if you grew up on planet Earth, you experienced some trauma. That's just part of being a human, right? We all have brokenness in our families. We have brokenness in every you know, social interaction of our lives. Some of us have, have experienced abuse. Some of us have experienced some of the most painful things that you could ever imagine. And it's created different areas of brokenness in our lives, different ways that we cope with these things. And God goes, look, I want to enter into these broken pieces and I want to mend you. And that's what sanctification is. It's your journey back to wholeness. Let me say that again. Sanctification is your journey back to wholeness, to being who God intended you to be as an image bearer of Christ. Friends, we are saved, but we are being saved at the same time. Amen? We are saved by grace, and we are being saved in the midst of this process of change. And God is patient. He is kind, 
He, he's with you in this process. He wants to see you through. It says in the scripture that he will bring to completion the good work he started in you. And it's amazing. Galatians 5 says this. We're all aware of this internal struggle. We're all aware of this battle inside of us. It says this, Paul says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, just show of hands so I don't feel like I'm alone up here on the stage. Anybody do things in their life that they don't wanna do? Especially when it comes to like the freezer after 10 o'clock at night? Or anything, right? Especially when that guy cuts you off on the road or somebody's just being a jerk and you're like, hey, I, I'm, I shouldn't enter into this conflict, but I can't help myself. Someone needs to tell this guy how to live, right? Moments in our lives where we realize, gosh, and, and those are some light examples, but we all have deeper examples, don't we? We've all got areas that we're like, man, if I, if I continue in this, it could ruin everything. My marriage, my career, my job, my life. I mean, if you've ever been around or you've struggled with yourself with an addiction, you understand the destructive nature of these things and you realize all of us inside of ourselves have two things that war with one another. The spirit and the flesh. This side of us that knows, man, I'm created by God to live this way, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And this other side of us, it's like, I don't want that. I want pleasure right now. <laughs> I want dulce de leche right now. I, you know, there, there's two sides to all of us, and it's not, the whole world realizes this. It's not just this, this Christian worldview. Philosophers, Jewish rabbis, Buddhists, psychologists, I mean, Jordan Peterson, if you're into sort of the new psychology stuff, it, everybody recognizes, man, there's an animalistic side to me, a, a side to me that says, I, I, just want, I just want to live in this place of carnal, immediate satisfaction, and there's this other side of me that's like, I don't really want that. There's deeper desires and a deeper self in who I am. And, and those two sides to us are always in conflict from each other. John Mark Comer, one of my favorite authors, he said it like this. He said, all healthy people self-edit this inner mix of desires. They take a moment to edit, right? They're like, okay, what's going on inside of me? The wise recognize that pleasure is not the same thing as happiness. Pleasure is about dopamine. Pleasure is about the next hit to feel good in the moment. He goes on to say this. Happiness is about contentment over the long haul. It's about contentment over the long haul, a sense that my life is rich and satisfying as it is. Pleasure is about want. Happiness is about freedom from want. It's just one of these realities where there's a side to us that wants to kind of hit the pleasure button every day. And there's the work of God in our life that says, no, I actually wanna give you true joy, true happiness, true freedom, true contentment. But this requires some transformation. It requires some dying to yourself. Because the way of Jesus, it does not come naturally to you or to me. It's just the reality of our lives. Since the fall, there are broken parts that in us that resist the way of Jesus. It's like, we got any golfers in the room? Any golfers? 
Okay, nobody plays golf. Maybe one or two. Uh, this one up here, got it. You, I remember my own journey into golf, right? I started playing golf and I was like, man, I never had a lesson. I got a set of clubs from my dad, went out, started hacking it around and, and played for months, maybe a year or two before I ever got a lesson. And over that year or two, I developed some really bad habits, but it's just what ended up feeling sort of comfortable to me. And, and I remember the first, I was like, man, I, for some reason I can't break a hundred, right? I, I'm not a good golfer. I probably need to get a lesson. So the very first lesson I, I got, the guy's like, okay, we're changing everything. We're changing the grip, the stance, your, your left arm, your movement, everything. We're changing everything about how you play golf. Do you know what happened next? I got worse. I got way worse at golf because it felt very unnatural to me. I, you know, I was playing, my, my score skyrocketed. I was playing worse than I played before, but I stuck with it. I kept practicing. And over time, I noticed, wow, I'm not slicing it over onto the next fairway every time I hit my driver. My chips are getting more consistent and closer to the hole every time. My putts, I'm reading greens better. I'm learning to play this game. And suddenly I broke 100. Then I broke 90 for the first time. And it was like, wow, I'm getting better because I didn't give up on what the teacher had taught me. And friends, for many of us, the journey of following Jesus, especially when you, you first start, it's going to feel totally unnatural. You're going to fail a lot. But you've got to enter into this process, and over time, you begin to flourish as God created you to be. You begin to step into the fullness of who God created you to be. And he's called all of us into this journey of change and transformation. So the question is this. How do we do it? What does it take to change, to fundamentally change some of these things in our lives that we know need to be changed? It's a few things I thought about in answer to that question. Number one is this. We'll talk about these in a second. We'll unpack them just for a few minutes. We have to realize the stakes are high. And some, some of you know this. Some of us are very aware of this. Some of the things that we deal with in our lives, we realize, man, if I don't stop... If I, if I don't get help here or get this thing changed in my life, it could ruin everything. And, you know, others, we, we realize like, hey, gosh, there, there, it may not be something that's going to destroy my whole life, but man, it's, it's going to mean I never have close friendships or I never have good relationship with my kids. There are things in all of us that need to be changed. Realize the stakes are high. Number two, when it comes to self-defeating behavior or habits or sin in our life, I got to say this clearly. It's what Paul says. Kill it. Don't manage it. Kill it. Don't coddle it. That's, that's the call of scripture. If you recognize something in your life that, man, this is, this is not only against the will of God, but it's massively self-destructive, go to war. Start to declare war on that thing because it will take you out otherwise. And not just in the natural, but in the spiritual, in your soul. In your soul. The next thing I want to look at is this willpower versus God's power. How willpower does not have the strength to change us deep down. And number four is this reality of spiritual disciplines. How those really are. What we're doing, 21 days of fasting and prayer. How that is the doorway Along with other things, counseling. I mean, some of, some of us need to go to AA and we need to get into therapy and recovery. There's a lot of other tools you gotta have, but one of them I deeply believe, for those who follow Christ, you've got to have spiritual disciplines in your life. 
You've got to have these things in your life that lead you to the fountain of grace and the power of God. So number one, we have to realize what's, what's at stake here. And the writers of the New Testament, in particular Paul, he did not mess around with this reality of sin. And I think for many of us, even as Christians, maybe some of you are new to the faith, you know, this whole world of battling sin and fighting sin in your own life is not something you've thought about very often. And maybe there's not even much conviction in your life about, man, I need to look more like Jesus. And what Paul says here, listen to how he talks about it. The verse will be on the side screen, Romans 8, 13. He says this, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Happy New Year's, welcome to 2022. (laughs) I know this isn't like the lightest message in the world, but friends, the reason I have actual joy in my heart as I share this with you, because I believe there's gonna be some strongholds broken. I believe there's gonna be massive change in your life. Over the next year, over the next 21 days, if you actually walk through this door, I believe you're going to find freedom. And the thing that comes first is the open heart surgery. And that's what Paul is giving us here. Romans 8, 13. If you keep living this way, you're going to spiritually die. And some of you, you might actually die. Some of, some of the habits and the things that you deal with, and, and we know this, we felt the pain of addiction and the realities of friends or family members who are facing these things, and we know their life is actually on the line. It really is. And, and Paul keeps going, he goes, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. He's like, life and death is at hand here. The stakes are high. So he goes on, he goes, therefore, kill it, don't manage it. He says this in Galatians 5, verse 24 to 25, says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucified it. Crucifixion is painful, but it's not playing around, it always leads to death. And so what Paul is saying is you have to enter the fight here and you have to actually crucify these things. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Then Romans 12, 1 to 2, what we read earlier, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's a bizarre word to the first century Jewish population, a living sacrifice. It's like, Paul, don't you remember the temple, how this whole thing worked? You know, you kill the lamb before you sacrifice the lamb. There are no living sacrifices. You you kill the fatted calf before you sacrifice the fatted calf. There's no such thing as a living sacrifice, Paul. And he goes, actually, you are. You're a living sacrifice. God God isn't going to physically kill you. What he wants to do is say, hey, you need to voluntarily lay yourself on the altar and say, Lord, burn away everything in me. That is not according to your will. Take it away, Lord. And that, that process, man, it feels like dying to yourself because <laughs> you are. That's what we're all doing. And so the call here is, is not to manage it, but literally to crucify it. And he talks about this idea of sowing and reaping. He says, look, if you sow to the flesh, if you continue in these habits, you're going to reap that harvest, It will have a harvest one day. It may not be now or next week or next month or next year, but the harvest is coming and the harvest is not great. But if you sow to the Spirit, 
In due time, you will reap a harvest of goodness in your life. And he says this in, in Galatians 6, verse 9. He says, or it goes on below that. Basically, he says, if you continue to reap to the Spirit, you will reap a harvest of the Spirit if you don't give up. If you don't quit. And, and Paul's whole thing in this journey of change for many of us, and we're aware of this, is, man, sometimes we just want to quit. We want to give up. We think it's hopeless. And he's like, no, keep going. Keep going. God, God is going to work in and through your life if you don't give up. Now, probably the most important one on here, what about willpower versus God's power? Because we know the reality that willpower doesn't work. It can only get you so far. We need God's power to be unleashed in our lives. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians. If you want a, a verse for your year, a verse for the next 21 days, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4 says this. For even though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. To destroy strongholds. The weapons of our warfare. Paul, what are those weapons? How do I get free? How do these strongholds, these lies that I've believed that have led my life down a wrong path, how do I get free from these things? And I believe this, your willpower is good for, for several things, but especially for one thing. It's good to bring you to the spiritual disciplines where God's power gets unleashed in your life. Your willpower says, okay, there's living water over there. I just need to get over to that living water. And then the transformation begins to happen. The willpower is what you do that, that moves you in that direction to where God can then work in your life. And so at the end of the day, willpower moves us towards things like fasting. And I want to hit this because I'm so afraid that the church in America, the modern church, has lost some of these spiritual practices. We don't know how to walk in the spirit. We don't know how to walk this thing out. The early church, think about this. In the very beginning of the church, they would fast two days a week. And I'm not talking a social media fast, okay? I'm talking no food. When, when the Bible talks about fasting, it is actually saying you're abstaining from food or certain types of food. That's what fasting is in Scripture. You're abstaining from food. And so... This, there is nothing that teaches us how to say no to our flesh like saying no to food. And I promise you this, the first time you fast, I don't promise you, maybe you're better than me, but you're going to end up at In-N-Out Burger at noon. <laughs> it's going to happen, okay? First time you give this thing a shot, you're like, I am starving, I'm hangry, I don't know how to hold this golf club, I, I'm, my slice is worse than ever before, I quit. And Paul's like, no, don't quit, keep going. If you keep sowing to the Spirit, you will reap a harvest. And, and there's this reality where it's not natural to us. But the early church realized nothing unleashes the power of God in your life like fasting. And it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to fix all your problems overnight. It's something that you have to learn and grow in. But if you have some strongholds in your life, I want to encourage you over the next 21 days, maybe one day a week, just say, I'm, I'm going to try and go with no food. Or maybe I'll try from you know, sunrise to sunset not to eat. 
Maybe I'll just try juice for the day or water. But there's something that happens inside of you in your spirit when you begin to, to go to war. And I remember the first time I, I really genuinely tried fasting, there were some things that came up inside, inside of me that I was like, whoa, I didn't know that was there. You know, we've all experienced this reality of being hangry. There's anger inside of me. There's selfishness. There's, you know, a lack of patience. There's all these things inside of me. And it's like when you start playing golf, you get worse. But at least you begin to see what's inside of you, what's happening there. And it's that reality of fasting that reveals it to us. Second thing is this. Another area that I think we've just, we've lost it in the Western church is confession. Friends, when was the last time you brought another trusted brother or sister in Christ into your struggle, into your strongholds? There is something that happens when you go and you bring it into the light. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He, he said this. This is amazing. He said, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Ooh, that is true. That is absolutely true. I've experienced it in my own life. And yet James says it like this, James 5, 16. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The healing comes when you bring it into the light. When you bring somebody else in. And friends, you can't do that alone. You need community. You need a small group. You need a friend that you can go to. You need a counselor. You need somebody that you can let into the dark, hidden caves of your life, the broken pieces of our lives. Friends, if your willpower can get you to fasting, to confession, to prayer, to scripture, it, it will begin to unleash the power of God in your lives. And I just want to say this so clearly. I, I, don't, I don't want to be seen as a guy talking on a stage to you right now. In fact, I'm going to get down off the stage <laughs> because I, I'm here. I'm in this. This is, this is not a, oh, we got to clean up our acts and get it all together. This is, this is none of that. It's the reality that, man, we're all here together and we need to learn what it looks like to walk the way of Jesus. And there's some massive areas in our heart and our lives that have to be changed, that have to be transformed. And I'm, I'm just saying, look, personal change is a long process. There's a lot of different tools that we have to add to the equation if we're going to see this through in our lives. I've mentioned some of them, therapy, counseling. There's a lot of different areas. Maybe it's a rehab program for some of you or some of your friends or family that you know about. But there's also the spiritual side where we need to enter into the things that can unleash God's power in our life to break strongholds and change habits. Things like fasting and prayer and confession and getting into the word daily. These are powerful things. Things like showing up to church regularly, getting in, involved in a small group and community. These are part of the transformation process in your life. Amen? And so friends, over the next 21 days, over the next six weeks, we're, we're gonna dive into this as a church because I, 
I have great hope for you. I have great hope for me because Christ died for us. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so we're going to close our time today a little bit differently. I mentioned this at the beginning, but we're going to take communion together. And then we're going to have a prayer team come down front. And if you want prayer for anything in your life or in your family, you can come down front and you can get prayer. We have a prayer wall over there where you can write a prayer request down and our staff is going to pray over all those prayer requests this week that are put into the wall over there. So I want to encourage you to, to get some prayer, but before we move into that moment, we're going to take communion together and I'm going to pray for us and we're going to remember that we are whole and perfect in Christ and that he's with us in this process of transformation. So let's pray. Lord, as we take communion together, Father, I just ask that you would encounter our hearts in a fresh way. Lord, help us to see and to understand what you've done for us the free gift of grace that you've given us. Lord, I, I pray for people in this room, people watching online. I pray for myself that as we enter into the next 21 days, it would be a life-changing experience for us, for our families. Lord, thank you for the cross. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and take communion together. And um, then we're gonna open up the front to some prayer time. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.